with me. It's going to affect your head, your heart, and your hands. What does a person that has a high view of Scripture look like? It affects drastically their head, their heart, and their hands. So there's no PowerPoint today. Since we're talking about a high view of Scripture, take your Bible, and I want you to flip it open, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, you probably know this verse and where we'll be going with that. But when it comes to how it affects your head, how does it affect your thinking? Because sin has affected every one of us in our thinking and in our reasoning. In fact, Ephesians tells us that because of sin, our thoughts are darkened. We are foolish at times in our thinking. We are often lie believers because we continue to believe the lie of the enemy. And yet, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, if you found it there, you know what it says. Most of you have this memorized. In fact, just the three passages I'm going to give you today, I would really commend you to memory. If you have not memorized or if you used to memorize the Scriptures or uh, maybe you've never done it before, I would encourage you just to take these passages we'll talk about this morning and commit them to memory, to where you can think about them. You don't have to have it in front of you. Maybe while you're driving down the road or you're doing your exercises or right as you're going to sleep, you can think about, you can meditate, you can recall these to memory. But Romans chapter 12, verse 2, you know what it says? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why is that? Every person in this room, in fact, every person in the world needs their mind what? Transformed. They need their mind. You need your mind transformed and renewed. And how do you do that? It's through the Word of God. Because the rest of it says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here's a quote. just heard it recently, I believe with all my heart. Your life and my life is going in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Whatever your strongest thoughts, even this morning, whatever really has captured your mind and your thinking, that is the direction of your life. Whatever that thing that has captured your thinking, and that's what you dwell on, that's what you think on, you think you might not know how to meditate, but the truth is, meditation means you just go over that in your mind over and over and over again. And so the thing that you are going over and over and that's captured your heart and your mind, that's the direction that your life is going. So you want to make sure that your thoughts are going where they need to be going. And so if you will, I want you to flip over to Philippians. It's just take a right, go to Philippians chapter 4. And I want to camp on this one just for a little bit. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Philippians 4, verse 8. Paul is saying to the Philippians, listen, I want you to think about these things. It's a command in the scriptures. He says, I want you to recall these to mind. I want you to think about these things. And so in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, listen to what it says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is, and here's the list, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, for just a moment, I want to just walk through that list for a little bit. 
And I want you to think about, when it comes to thinking about what's true, I want you to think about this. Maybe if you memorize this and you think about, hey, I'm supposed to be dwelling on what's true, that you might ask this question. Is this true about God? Is this true about someone else? Is it true about myself? And so when you think about, hey, I'm supposed to be thinking about these things. So maybe someone says something, you hear something on TV or the radio or someone in passing or you're having a conversation with someone and they say something about God. Well, you need to ask yourself, is this true about God? You need to go to the Word of God and find out, is this true about God? Hear me. It's not going to be on the story of God with Morgan Freeman telling you about all the issues of the different gods of the world. That's not going to be it. I'm, I'm sorry. Even though it, if it is on National Geographics or whatever, okay, it doesn't matter. The deal is, if you want to know what's true about God, you need to go to the source. And you need to go to the Bible. And you go to the Bible and you find out, is this true about God? But then you need to ask, is this true about other people? Now hear me, if you're into tabloids or soap operas, listen, uh, it's probably going to kind of stir your thinking that everybody's goofy. Well, that might be true, but the deal is, is that you might think everybody's a liar, everybody's kind of bent this way or so. But the deal is, you need to really find out, is this really true about other people? Not just take it that someone said something about someone. or So you need to find out, is this really true about someone? Have the benefit of the doubt before you pass judgment. You need to really go to the source. Honestly, if someone comes to you and says, listen, I want to tell you about so-and-so, before they tell you, go, hey, listen, uh, let's go find so-and-so, and let's all three talk about this. That'll probably stop it right there, okay? But the deal is, is it true about this person? But here's one that maybe you hadn't thought about much. Or maybe you think about it a whole lot. Is this true about me? Because every person in this room, you have this identity. Uh, many of you, how you grew up, what people said to you, the environment you grew up in, uh, maybe the church you went to, maybe teachers you had, uh, maybe it was parents, it was uh, your friends. And the thing is, they've kind of put an identity on you that maybe is not true. If you know my story, I grew up, I literally felt like I had a name tag that I wore around, and it said, hello, my name is stupid. That's not funny. I'm, if you laugh, it's okay. I didn't think it was very funny, but I thought that's what I was. Because in third grade, I had a teacher who I looked up to, right? Most teachers, you know, you look up to. So in third grade, I had a teacher say I was stupid. So I grew up with this name tag. I walked around, and I thought I was stupid. Here's the deal. It wasn't until about 22 years old, I had a guy who literally was the guy who was discipling me after coming to know Christ, who replaced it. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that you are God's workmanship. It honestly means you're God's work of art. Every person in this room, you are different than anybody else. You are unique. Your thought patterns, your quirks, everything about you is different. Why is that? Because you're God's work of art. You're unique and you're special to God. In fact, 
you might just need be the person that there's a person in your life that you need to go and change your name tag. It might be you. It might be you that is God's instrument to go to somebody else and help them realize, hey, listen, that's a lie that you've been believing and thinking for way too long. And here's what God says about you. And so is it true about God? Is it true about somebody else? Is it true about yourself? Honorable. Does this thing, whatever that deal is, is it honorable? Does it give God honor? Does it honor other people? And so before taking up maybe a thought or a, an issue with someone, or maybe you're going to do an action, think of it and ask yourself, hey, listen, is this honorable? Does this honor God? Does this honor the other person that I'm going to be, it's going to be affecting? Because everything you and I do affects somebody. And so does it honor them? So is it true? Does it honor them? Is it pure? Would this thing that I have begun to think about, is this thing that I'm about to do, would I do it knowing that God is looking at it with me? So is it pure? Is, is it something that I would, hey, God, come on, look on with me. I invite you. Hey, I'm looking at it. I'm thinking about it. Come on and join with me. Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it lovely? I'll just give you a couple things. God the Creator and His creation is lovely, is it not? Now some of you, it's been a long time since you even noticed that. You know the old thing, uh, have you uh, uh, too busy to stop and smell the roses, right? Some of us in this room, we haven't done that in a long time. In fact, do you know that if you're up at 5.30 in the morning, if you'll look right at the horizon, here is Jupiter, Venus, Mars. You know it's been there since time began. You know why it's there? Because God put it there. Why is it always there? You know why? Because God's saying, hey, look how faithful I am. It's always there. The Big Dipper is right over here. If you go out at nighttime, about 9 at night, it's right about here in the horizon. Guess what? It's always been there. Did you know between every star on the Big Dipper, it is light years apart? Do you know what I mean? A light year is 6 trillion miles. Each of those stars are trillions of miles away from each other. And guess what? Some of them are further away, and some of them are closest to us. But guess what? God put them right there. How come every night when you go outside, if you'll go out and look up long enough, you'll see a fallen star how come the Big Dipper, those stars are still there? Why is that? Because God's lovely. It's His creation. It's just Him screaming once again, I'm the Creator. This is what I do. You ever see the sunrise? How many of y'all, it's been, how many of y'all just recently, you've seen the sunrise? I won't say it the other way like, hey, I just thought, you know, I woke up and it was up. But anyway, you just, you've seen the sunrise lately. Is that the coolest thing? Three of us. It is awesome. So I'm telling you, you ought to just get up and watch the sun come up. In fact, if you'll stare at it, in fact, so in my house, I got our, our table and the chair. I drink my coffee and read my Bible. And I have it, I look out the window, and the horizon and my backyard fence is in such a way. 
that if I'll stare at it long enough, I can literally watch the earth turn. It's not the sun coming up, it's the earth turning right. Science project deal right there. And, and it's turning, and it's like, and you can watch it. It's like, and that thing's going a thousand miles an hour. Wow. It's beautiful. Is it, have you looked at how lovely it is? And then people, the loveliest thing God ever made, right? Is his, the highest thing he's ever made is people. They're lovely, aren't they? If you were not here yesterday for Addie's funeral, Addie turned 100 years old last week, stepped into heaven just this past week. And if you weren't there, you missed it. It was awesome. 100 years old, lived her life. It was beautiful. What a beautiful service. Beautiful, the teaching. Beautiful, the songs about her life, how beautiful. If you didn't, on the back, the, on the back of the bulletin is uh, her in a swing set, and you see her back, and she's swinging. And you know the one thing I, I noticed you don't see in that picture? That's Jesus pushing her. That's what she's doing in heaven right now. She's in some swing set, you know, having a time of her life. Just beautiful. But here's the deal. We live in such an ugly world. We don't look at very much lovely anymore i triple dog dare you many of you know what that means for those of you not laughing that means you have to do this now if you're triple dog dare you have to do this i triple dog dare you stop go outside tonight you might have to put your coat on lay on a blanket on the ground watch the stars the lovely. Because you know what Paul said? You're to dwell on these things. You're to think on these things. What's lovely? Commendable. Who deserves recognition and appreciation? Here's the deal. Most of us are so wound up in our own lives, we let the people go by us that need recognition, that need appreciation, and we let them go by every day. And yet, we need to stop and think about commendable. Who is it that God's using in my life? Who is it that is doing an incredible work? Who is it that did that little thing that nobody saw, but you saw it, and God saw it, and you recognize that? And you tell them about that. study just recently says that 80% of bosses and managers believe that they are really good at showing appreciation. Then they surveyed the workers Less than 5% of those workers under those 80% of given appreciation said nope. And so someone's definition is off, right? I think it's probably the bosses that they're not showing appreciation. They're not recognizing. They're not stopping and being commendable. What is excellent? My friend, our friend, missionary in Mexico, Greg McClanahan says, Good enough is the enemy of excellence. Just good enough. Have you ever said that? Don't anymore. Oh, that's good enough. Don't say that anymore. Why? Paul said you're to think, is it excellent? Is it your very best? Am I going to put forth my very best? Or is it just going to be, oh, it's good enough? 
You've heard the good enough for government work? Stop it. Right? Stop it. Christian shouldn't be just doing good enough. Christian ought to be doing 110%. Because good enough is the enemy of what's best. And Paul says what's excellent. Just one more. Praiseworthy. Here's what I wrote. Am I such a pessimist that I do not recognize and acknowledge that which is praiseworthy? Listen, we can get so pessimistic. We can get so engulfed in whatever it is we're engulfed in that we don't give thanks, praise to God, to when it's due Him, to others when it's due them, and yet we need to stop and think, who is it that's worthy of saying thanks? Your head. Is the Word of God changing your thinking? Because a person who has a high view of Scripture, it's going to affect their thinking, but it's going to affect their hearts. Now I want to I give you what I believe is the number one indicator of what is in your heart. What do you think the number one indicator to tell what is in your heart? Not just that I could tell what's in your heart, but that you can tell what's in your own heart. If you will, turn to Luke chapter 6. Jesus said this. It is the absolutely greatest indicator of what is in a person's heart. Do I want to know what really what's in my heart? I mean, the heart's deceptive, right? Who can know it? Who could tell you what's in your heart. In fact, you can tell yourself, this is what's in my heart. And here's the indicator. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, A good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good, right? And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, his mouth speaks. The number one indicator that will show what is in a person's heart is what comes out of their mouth. In fact, you can be all by yourself and whatever comes out of your mouth, you can guarantee that's what's in your heart. That's a scary thing. Have you ever been with one or two, something came out and you're like, man, where'd that come from? You know where it came from? It came right from your heart. In fact, it came from the abundance of what's in your heart. And so what is coming out? What is that thing that is continually? It has a pattern that you see this thing coming out of your mouth all the time. Is it cursing? Is it good? Is it blessing to other people? Is it cynicism? Is it pessimism? Is it criticism? And whatever comes out of your mouth, that is what your heart is full of. In fact, in one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah God lets him get to see a vision of him. And you know that, Isaiah 6, he is high and lifted up. He's on a throne. There's smoke filling the temple. His train fills the temple. There's lightning and smoke. It's just incredible awesomeness. The, the pillars of the temple are rocking back and forth. It's incredible scene. And then here's what Isaiah says. He says, I said, woe to me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so what does Isaiah say? 
Woe is me, I've got a filthy heart. Woe is me, my mind is full of junk. What does he say? He goes right to the indicator of what's in a person's heart. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. You know what he's saying? My heart is full. And whatever my heart's full of, that's what's coming out of a mouth. What do you do about that? Well, if you have ever been around, I think, heritage long, especially people like Chip McWilliams and Rocky Hells and Eric Schrock, you've seen this thing called the hand illustration. Hand illustration is how do you get a hold of the Bible? And, you know, you start with your pinky, and it goes that you, what, listen to the Word of God. You read the Word of God. You study the Word of God. Then when it comes to the stronger fingers, it's what? You memorize the Word of God. You meditate on the Word of God, and you apply the Word of God. And so the deal is, how do you allow the Word of God to affect your heart so that what's coming up out of your heart, out of your mouth, is indicating what's in your heart? Well, how do you do that? you got to, hear me, you got to memorize. you got to meditate. You know, Eastern religion says meditation is emptying your mind. The Bible tells us not to do that. It says take every thought captive. Don't just let it run loose. Take every thought captive. And so biblical meditation is what? You got it in your head. You're thinking about it. You're praying it. You're dwelling. In fact, one of the verses I'm memorizing right now is Psalm 19. It's the last of that. If you know what it is, this will come to mind as I say it, but let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my what heart be acceptable in your sight O lord my rock and redeemer i'm thinking about that i am praying that i'm praying that as i walk up here because i don't want to look like an idiot and get in front of y'all and then what's really in my heart comes out and guess what you get to see what's in my heart I hope that what's in my heart is that, oh God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And taking that, the word of God, and drilling it further and further and further down to where what's coming out of your mouth, it's what your heart is full of. What's your heart full of? Because that's what's coming out of your mouth. Then it affects your hands. Because, hear me, a person who has a high view of Scripture, it's just not they know it all. And it's not just they have this incredible heart and what comes out of their mouth is just wonderful. But it affects their hands. In fact, turn to a passage you know well because the Pastor Marty is preaching there. James chapter 1, verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22. Turn there and it affects your hands. So a person that has a high view of Scripture, it affects their head, their heart, and their hands. And here's what James chapter 1, verse 22 says. But prove yourselves to be doers of the Word, and not hearers only. Because if you are a hearer only, I know some of you are looking in your Bible going, that's not in there, but um, if you're a hearer only, you deceive yourself, or one of your translations might say you delude yourself. Here's what it literally means. 
you reason yourself out of doing it. Don't just be a hearer and not a doer, because if you're just a hearer and you're not doing it, it's because you reason yourself out of not doing what God says to do. My question, what is it right now that you are reasoning yourself out of? That you clearly know God tells you to do it, and yet you reason yourself out of doing it, or vice versa. God says, listen, I want you to abstain from this, but you reason yourself into doing it anyway. You're deceiving yourself. You're reasoning yourself out of it. What does that look like? Or maybe what does it sound like? Here's a few phrases over the years I've heard and said myself. I've done that before. It's someone else's turn to do it. And here's what I would say to myself. And if I heard a person say that. So, if I said that, I think I would respond like this. You know, I've been doing that for a while. I'm going to let somebody else do that. Really? I mean, really? Or, how about this one? I'm not called to do that. Really? Who's this book written to? Hey, I, read, I just read that in my quiet time. I don't think I'm called to do that. And God screams out, Really? Who am I talking to this morning? Isn't it you, the one that's reading the Bible right now? Oh, you know what? God's telling me so I can go tell so-and-so they need to be doing this. Really? I mean, really? Or how about this one? I don't have time for that. Really? Who gave you time? What did God give you time to do? To do His will, right? And so He calls you to do His will... And you reason yourself out of it? And you ought to say, really? Am I reasoning myself out of doing this? Really? You know, it's not just parents, grandparents, youth workers. It's not just yours or mine to have a high view of Scripture to be an example to young people, children, other people. The truth is, is every one of us, young people like every one of us, we need to be examples of people that the Word of God is affecting our head, our hearts, and our hands. And we need to be examples of it. People need to be able to look and go, that person has a high view of Scripture. Why? Because they speak so eloquently? No, because it's affecting how they think, talk, and what they do. But hear me. You will never have a high view of Scripture until you go repelling, okay? So for years, um, I grew up, and uh, I wanted to climb things I wasn't supposed to, and then jump off things I wasn't supposed to, and then I found out about mountain climbing, so I took that up. And uh, my mom thought I was nuts. Sherry thinks I'm nuts. I don't do it as much anymore. But um, if you don't know what repelling is, here's the deal. And hear me, you'll never have a high view of Scripture unless you go repelling. Okay? And I'll tell you why. So here's the deal. When I would buy a, a rope, and I'd only use a rope for like a season, 
So this is real mountain climbing rope. And so I would go buy this. And um, before I would buy it, I would sit down on the floor and I'd buy about 200 feet at a time. And the guy helping me, I'd go, I'm going to be just a minute. And I would take the rope and I'd unspool it and I'd do this. 200 foot of it. He'd walk off, come back. I want to make sure that I can trust this. I want to make sure I can trust this. And so after quite a while, I'd buy about 200 foot of it. And then I'd take, uh, we took young people, Sherry and I for years, hundreds over the years, hundreds, take them rappelling. We take them to Red Rock Canyon, and you go there, it's great because you can start off on like a 20-foot cliff and at the end of the day be jumping off a 100-foot cliff. It was awesome. So we'd start off, and so you would go up on top of this cliff, and you'd get your rope, and I'd go up on top of the cliff, and I'd be scouting out. And uh, what I wanted is I wanted to find the most secure tree I could find and tether to it. I wanted to find the most secure, strongest tree, the most roots, the most healthy-looking tree I could find, and I wanted to hook on to it because I knew that I had tested this. I knew that it was hooked to something that was secure. And then what I could do is I could put on this harness... And then I could take this rope and I could manipulate it through this figure eight and this carabiner. And then what I could do is I could step out on the edge of a hundred foot cliff. And you, you, how you do it is you rappel backwards. So you're going to back off of a hundred foot cliff, right? But what? You know, this is secure. It's tied to the most secure tree I know of. And you get out, and this is called the point of no return. And you either make a decision, you either make a choice right there that you're going to trust this and you're going to put all your weight into it and then you're going to back off and you're going to go down. And when you get to the bottom, you know, you're sweating, you're all this, some are crying, but they're going, you know, at the bottom because they went down. But I hope you caught it. The Word of God is absolutely trustworthy. There's not a flaw one in it. There's more evidence that every Word of God is true than any other book in the world. There's more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than George Washington was the first president of the United States. We have something trustworthy. Hear me. It is secure and connected to the strongest tree there is. Because when you think of the cross, you have to think of the resurrection. And it is the most absolute, solid evidence that the Bible is true. Because Jesus said, listen, when I die on the cross and I'm buried three days, if I do not come back from the dead, just call me a liar and go and do whatever you want to do. But to prove that everything I've said is true, I'm going to die, be buried, I'm going to rise again. It is the ultimate truth that this word is trustworthy. 
and that you must come to a place in your life, hear me, not just young people, but every person has to come to a place in their life where they choose that this is the Word of God and I'm going to have a high view of it and it's going to affect how I think, it's going to affect my heart, it's going to affect what I do in this world through these hands and this, these feet and this mouth and these ears of listening to people. And it's going to affect my life. Here's the deal. It's not just a young person issue. It's an every person issue. You must come and make a choice. Because hear this. Until you make a choice, it never becomes a conviction. Young people... Hear me, your parents probably have told you for years, this is the Word of God, and you need to trust it. And this is kind of scary, mom and dad and grandparents, but you cannot make your children choose. No amens. You cannot make your children choose it because it's not until you, and hear me, it's not until you choose that this is the Word of God and I'm going to live and have a high view of it. It is going to affect my mind. I am going to let it affect my heart. It will affect my hands. I'm not going to reason myself out of doing what the Bible clearly tells me to do. I am not going to reason myself in doing things that the Bible clearly tells me not to do. Stop reasoning yourself out of it. Do it. Just do it. I have one more. The number two reason why the one stayed is that between the ages, and you heard this if you were at the annual meeting, the most fertile ground for a person's heart to trust Christ is between the ages of 4 and 14. More people come to know Christ between those ages than any other time. If you go to another country, there are many places that will allow you to preach some places. But hear me, it is absolutely against the law. I wonder why this is. It is absolutely against the law to evangelize children. In Cuba, they'll let you have open-air preaching as long as there's no children there. If they catch you trying to evangelize a child, I wonder who told them between the ages of 4 and 14 their hearts are the most fertile. Who told them that? Why is it that Muslims, that they have their children before their age 13 memorize huge portions of the Quran? Why is that? Who told them that their heart is the most fertile during those times? Why is it that it is the most difficult ministry in any church I know to have people work with children and young people? One of the largest churches in the United States is right here stationed out of uh, Edmond, Oklahoma. You know what their number one struggle is? Is to find people who will work with children. I called John MacArthur's church. That kind of perked up your mind. Some of y'all, man, John MacArthur, he is the man. You got his Bible commentaries. I love listening to him. I called, didn't ask to talk to John. He wouldn't have talked to me anyway. But I called to talk to the children's worker. 
You know what? The number one hardest thing to get anyone to do at Grace Community Church where thousands of people flock to hear John MacArthur preach, people to work with children. Why is that? Well, Satan knows that. He knows it's the most fertile time in a person's life to trust Christ. Sometimes it's we just reason ourselves out of it. It is the most difficult place to find. But it is when people, boys and girls, are trusting Christ. It's the most fertile time. So here's my question. Would you begin to, if you're not, would you intentionally begin to pray for children to be saved? You know, when you sit where you're at and you look in front of you or on the side of you, you see uh, some parents and they've got children, would you think of God? Would you speak to their hearts? Or maybe when we have children's sermons and you see all these kids up on the stage or during welcome time you see kids, they're running nuts all over this place, right? And instead of going, man, look at those little rug rats. Instead of go, would you save that one? 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 Because it's the most fertile time in their life to come to know Christ. 38% of the people that come to know Jesus come to know Jesus during the ages of 4 to 14 years old. Would you pray for them? So in just a moment, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray for some students. But when you leave out these three doors, there's going to be some fifth and sixth graders. They're going to have this uh, little Bible mark, and they're going to give it to you. And here's what it says. Pray for the fruit of salvation, love that overflows, growth in knowledge, understanding of what really matters, a pure and blameless life, righteous character and a life for jesus glory and praise to god children like arrows must be intentionally aimed at the target of knowing and loving jesus that comes from psalm 78 4 we will tell the next generation of the praiseworthy deeds of the lord his power and the wonders he has done on the back there are some intentional things this year that heritage is doing for the lives of not only parents and grandparents, but for the lives of children. It talks about Awanas. It talks about Vacation Bible School. It takes a, a talks about a Kennecut campout that we will sponsor here. It talks about a time we will go to our elementary school, Will Rogers, back to school bash where we go and be a blessing to them. It talks about the fall festival that we will have again this year where we invite our community to come and um, to be in a safe place and hopefully to hear and see about Jesus. This is all put together by our children's staff and the one reason it is is that it would be a reminder that you would pray because I want you to think about it. If you really choose that you start praying, and then one day you see a dad or one of the pastors baptized 
a little boy or girl up there, you know what you get to do? You get, I prayed for them. I've been praying for them. I've been praying that they would hear the gospel, their hearts would be... I've been praying their parents would be able to share uh, correctly and accurately with... I've been praying for workers that they would be able to... In fact, I've been a part of that. I, I've been in the Iwanas. I've been in the children's. I've been helping there. I've seen them. I've been praying for that family every time they come in to church and set together. I've been praying that they would hear the gospel and they would be saved. I, I've been asking God that he would do something. And every time you see it in the baptistry, you get to rejoice as well. Why? Because you've been a part of it as well. So, young people, if you're going to Camp Barnabas this week, would you stand right here? And if you're an adult and you're going to Camp Barnabas, would you come stand right here? And so not only a bookmark you're going to get when you walk out, we just want you to look at the faces of some young people and some adults that this week we're going to Camp Barnabas. Camp Barnabas is for uh, children who have some disabilities. And uh, we go every year. These young people have been going years and years. And we clean up the camp, work on the camp, get it ready for the rest of the year. There are camps they have there. And it's a lot of work. And these young people are going there. And so I want you to do something. I want you to choose a face. And this week, pray for them. Y'all need prayed for, so don't be hiding. Right? And I want you to pray for them. And when you leave out those doors, I want you to take one of these Bible marks, keep it in your Bible, and pray for children. In fact, when you go out there, you're going to walk into a jungle. Literally, there's a jungle right outside there. In fact, it's a little kiosk, and it has some places if you'd be interested in maybe something you could do during vacation Bible school or something you could do during one of these things. You could go and you can sign. It's not a commitment, but it's like you can sign and then we'll get you some information about how you could play a part in that activity so that people could hear the gospel. I'm going to ask if you will do that. Would you stand with me? And let's pray for our children and for these young people. And then we go out into a real jungle. Hopefully, the Word of God this week, people see it affects how we think, how we talk, and what we do. Jesus, thank you for these precious people. God, over the years, I've seen these people do amazing things. And the enemy of our soul is always working against us. Don't be that serious about God. Don't take God's word at his word. He doesn't really want you to do that. Let somebody else do that. I pray today we would choose to have a high view of your word. And that it will change every thought everything in our heart, and it will change what we do. That we will be actively involved and be on mission for you. Because we really, 
when we walk out these doors, we walk into a jungle of a world that needs people that are different. They're not holier than thou. They don't think they know it all. But you and your word has affected them. They have chosen that it would affect them in an incredible way. And I pray for these young people and adults as literally in just an hour or so when they get in the vans and they head off to Missouri, you keep them safe. I pray that as they work this week, it'll be good. But more than anything, that when they're talking to one another and they're singing and they're hearing the Bible taught and we're discussing and that you might do a work in every one of these young people's and adults' minds, hearts, and hands. And Lord, may they come back, not saying they don't, but may they come back and not just at camp, but they come back, their parents, grandparents, see a difference that they're living it out here as well as anywhere else. So thank you for the opportunity that you give us as a church to be able to send our young people out on mission. And I pray every one of these young people to realize this is mission. May we give our whole heart to it. And I pray this in your powerful name. Amen. God bless you.